We're starting and with and we're sued. <laughs> we're starting with you know the, the least litigious of of musics, which is TV theme songs. I wonder if that is true. Do, does anybody ever really get sued over using a TV theme song? No, I said TV, not movies. Right. Because you know you're going to get sued if you use anything from the movies. Oh, you know. Especially Disney. And now that Disney owns Star Wars, I know that happened a while ago. Yeah, that's not breaking news. Still fresh to me, though. But now that they own it, that's like litigious company buys litigious company. Do, do, Do they like cancel each other out or do they become like a super organism? Well, I mean, I feel like you're using the word super and it's it's hurtful. We're not like encouraging this. Like you, Superman is like good. Uh, how about super litigious man is mega like mega organism? Bad. That's good. I mean bad. Shit. Good, good, bad, bad. Ah. <laughs> Double plus bad good. <laughs> it's something. It is something. Something great. This is a very small table. It, it's a it's a very small table. It's meant for playing cards. That's why they call it a card table. And why is it so shaky? Because it's made out of cards. That's also <laughs> so, why they call it a card table. And really maximizing the, the, the use of the word on that one. That, that, that is true. The other table I have is like a full length. <laughs> we could like, always, use, it's always like, use the TV table. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you laugh. I used that tray table to record a podcast once. I believe long, you. Long, long time ago. Remember an exapod? Sure. Before you re- renamed it some kind of garbage? I didn't rename it. It was renamed for yeah. me. Uh, yes. Well, I should have assumed that because the name was terrible. What was it? An Nexnet Infrastructure Modernization Podcast. Really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> that was a compromise. I don't even I'll want have to know. know. <laughs> I'm sure it was. So I, I really wish. So when I ended up leaving, I did not bring my email with me, which was a, an oopsie on my part. Uh, probably avoided some legal. Yeah, that was the other question. Was like, was that even going to be legal? So I'm like, I'm not taking any chances. But I really wish, especially for stuff like this, like the email conversations about what to call the podcast. <laughs> you wish you had it on the PST. Oh my god. Well, yeah, I mean, you know why, why they couldn't use a Nexapod anymore. I actually don't know why. Because it was an infrastructure focused podcast. Ah. And that's not fair to the people on digital. Oh, poor babies. Because that's, you know, all the people in digital that were up in arms about it. Yes, I'm screaming sure. Screaming and yelling. From the mountaintops. Rendering of, rendering? Rending, rending of garments and gnashing of teeth. It was. Wailing. Yeah. From the high hilltop. I heard it from my basement. My bunker hidden far away. Even from the sub-basement. We don't talk about the sub-basement, oh. <clears throat> Chris. The not sub-basement. Good cover. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> that I did not know about that whole debate. Yeah, it was, I, it was wild. I, too, wish I had extracted a PST before I left, but I also thought about, you know, all the potentially confidential client information. Yeah. And I didn't want that on any of my personal systems. And it's just, yeah, it's very easy to say, no, I don't have any of my email anymore, period. In the yes. deeply unlikely chance that that would ever actually even be a question? No, it came I, up at least once that someone oh, really? emailed me on like my regular email saying, hey, we're looking for this document or this email. Do you happen to have it? And I'm like, you have access to all of my email. Good, like, Go forth and search. Right. I do wish I still had access to my OneDrive a little bit just because there was some stuff on there that I didn't extract. That was not necessarily company related. It was just stuff like planning documents and you my know, little pony fan fiction. 
Yes, Twilight Sparkle. You know, she finally gets to graduate college and see what the wider world has for her. And becomes bitter and disappointed and immediately starts writing her own slash fiction. Almost immediately, yes. Which is, ironically, about the Care Bear universe. (laughs) And then there's, well, I don't want to get into, I don't want to ruin it. So maybe... We'll just start the podcast. We'll just start. Hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever Podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I think laugh. I think cry. I get a 39-point inspection, and all my precious bodily fluids replenished at semi-regular solar intervals. You know, I would go to those doctors more regularly, but um, who wants to be inundated with bad news about, like, burned-out capacitors and parts no longer being in stock? Am I right? Yeah, um, it's just a bummer, Chris, and I get to pay for that experience. So capacitors, like, it, to, to the... expand the capacity of my lungs? It definitely is not how that works either. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, with me is Chris. Hi, Chris. I made it. You're deep in your feels about the paying for the experience of going to a doctor. I don't know what you could mean. Is that you have everything to share? You all right? American, Ned. Oh, don't we though? Every time I get an email from the doctor, I have to pay him twelve dollars. It's weird. I don't know how they got the postage through the email service, but they did it. I mean, you know, when email was first started, that was the dream. That was the dream to well, pay for was... every single email that would be sent. That was someone's dream. I wouldn't call it the dream. Well, that's the American dream, is to charge you for everything you do at all times, always. Yes. That'll be $6. (laughs) Thanks, Lucy. Great advice. Oh, it's sad, and it's true. Let's talk about some tech garbage. Let's. And uh, this is going to be a real uh, happy episode. Lots of sunshine, rainbows. Shiny, happy people paying the doctor a lot of money. Excellent. (laughs) So, what are we going to talk about? So we're going to talk about the economy. Damn it. It's tech adjacent. <laughs> it, it is. We're going to we t- are like somewhat impacted by the economy. It's an important thing. And I do want to say up top, I recognize completely that the things that we're going to talk about are a little hand wavy and very high level. Mm-hmm. However, this is not an economy podcast. No. If we were to dig deeply into these types of things, the podcast would be 10 times longer than it is. And it's already 16 hours. Exactly. Exactly. And that's abridged, so you're welcome. Um, so just recognize that. You know, We're talking about thoughts and feelings rather than the hard and fast economic realities, which are far more sophisticated. Facts don't care about your feelings. You don't know that. They might. Have you ever given facts a platform? I know the media hasn't. Am I right? Woo-hoo! Ah, <laughs> boom. Got them? I'm going to cry now. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about the tech world. Okay. Things were going great right up until they weren't. And a number of companies are finding themselves floundering, some would say panicking, now that the COVID boom is starting to cool down. Hmm. I couldn't think of a clever way to say that. Now that the COVID boom is starting to unexplode? Bust? Oh, that's too obvious. That is me. It's true. Anyway. It was bound to happen. As far back as May of last year, there were warnings that the COVID boom and its profitability Mm -hmm. couldn't last. 
Unfortunately, many, many companies completely failed to heed this warning, laid huge bets on things continuing to be boomy indefinitely. Well, to quote a great philosopher, that was dumb. So dumb. In short, for about two years, we as the American uh, population, really the world population, but you know. Yes. We panicked. Like a, a lot. A lot, a lot. Uh, we bought tons of stuff. Makes me feel better, Chris. Watched tons of movies. Makes me feel better, Chris. Learned to work, and then learned about things called Zoom fatigue. Does not make me feel better, Chris. As a result, across the spectrum, there was quite a hiring boom. One that was not expected. Took people by surprise, if you'll remember. I do. Service industry in particular got a huge bump, and even as recently as the second quarter of 2022, the hiring hasn't slowed to the extent that the industry has 400,000 new jobs in it. Trouble is, that purchasing hasn't kept up. Mm. In certain industries, the pace has gone down to below pandemic levels. So we're talking about getting back to 2018, 2019 levels of profitability. Which, I mean, things were still profitable in 2018. Not profitable enough. Fair enough. And so, unfortunately, many companies are losing jobs just as fast as the overall economy is adding them. Okay. Now, it's not just stuff. Tech companies that serve customers directly, such as Netflix and Amazon, have seen economic pullbacks just the same as big box stores like Home Depot and Target have. Hmm. Now, there's differences here. First of all, Home Depot and Target have physical inventory. Which, side note, if you need to shop at Home Depot or Target, now's a great time because they have so much freaking inventory, there's a lot of sales. Woo! Can't do that for a Netflix, though. Hmm. Or an Amazon, to an extent. I mean, to what they actually do, they don't have inventory. They hold inventory for other people, in most cases that matter. Okay. But anyway, they're both having downturns that uh, some would say they should have seen coming, but didn't. Netflix, in particular, is an example of a problem that absolutely did not need to happen. Mm. Simply put, they got overconfident. Once again, assuming the boom was permanent. After a few quarters of seeing subscription numbers flying high, they took a lot of financial oversight off of especially their homegrown projects, resulting in super expensive but ultimately crappy and, most importantly, not rewatchable movies such as Red Notice and The Gray Man. Yeah, I think it's important to point out that when Netflix had something like The Office on there, that was a program they didn't have to pay to create. It was something people would just turn on to watch right. in the background. And now that The Office and other similar programs have moved off of Netflix, the subscriber base might move with them, or at least use Netflix a heck of a lot less than they used to. And along those lines of continued having watching people in. Mm. Or whatever well, it is well that put. you said. Yes. Thank you. Uh, they just paid $400 million to maintain their connection to Seinfeld. Not surprising, considering that's another show that people will turn on in the background for comfort. Exactly. Because they were stupid enough to let the office go. <laughs> and they were not going to make that mistake more than once. Or twice. Or ten times. Whatever it is, they're done making it. Okay. Good for that. Here's $400 million. Oh my god, that's so much money. That's a lot of money. They stopped making that show before, like... 80% of our listeners have were even born. That that sounds not right. I, we'll go with it. Whatever. I was not okay. a math major. It might be 150%. Okay. 
Anyway, how did Netflix react to something that surprisingly happened, which was subscribers leaving? Mm-hmm. <gasps> Panicked. <laughs> they announced another raise in price, which was annoying. Yeah. They announced an ad-supported tier, which is something they said they would never do. Mm-hmm. And they announced that they were going to crack down on password sharing, which is a behavior they used to encourage. <laughs> As a result, they continued to lose subscribers, actually losing on the total subscriber count. Nearly a million total subscriptions in 2022. It's almost like when you do all these things that are hostile to your current customer base and they leave, you shouldn't be surprised. Right. Like, maybe don't be hostile to your customers is a thought. Maybe make stuff that's actually watchable. Mm. That would be good, too. And don't pay $200 million for the gray man. Yeah. And that's only estimated, which probably means they spend more. Mm. Anyway, this is just one example. And like I said, this is something that is happening in large and small ways across the entire tech landscape. And, you know, other companies saw this happening either to their competitors or to themselves, and did the only thing that they could. They immediately started blaming the workers and insisting that everyone should just work harder. Yes, work harder on this strategy, which is terrible. After all, those incredibly high margins that are based on a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that should have been known as temporary but were assumed to be permanent, those margins aren't going to maintain themselves. No, certainly not. Mark Zuckerberg, asshole-in-chief of Facebook, released a memo to employees in which he accused them of essentially doing nothing. And to prove that people were going to do nothing, he was going to make them work harder, or they should just, like, quit. Mm. His compassionate and patient thesis reads thusly, and I quote, Realistically, there are probably a bunch of people at the company who shouldn't be here. A part of my hope by raising expectations and having more aggressive goals and just kind of turning up the heat a little bit is that I think some of you might just say this place isn't for you. And that self-selection is okay with me. To quote another philosopher, Christ, what an asshole. <laughs> my God. Uh, it's so clear that he has not interacted with anybody who is not in 100% agreement with him all the time for years now. Or ever, perhaps. Yes. This memo and the, what does he call those meetings that he has with them? The, 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 not, not town squares, something like that. Town hall meetings, where he talked about this in similarly um, impolite terms, mm -hmm. reads to me as a direct threat to his employees. Work harder for no increase in pay or leave. He even went so far as to heroically cancel meta days something they made a lot of hay about because those were extra vacation days introduced to employees in order to give them a helping hand during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And why is he freaking out and screaming at people? You won't believe it, but it's because their revenue dropped. Money. For the first time ever in the quarter two of this year, Facebook made less money than the quarter before. Now, they still made money. Oh, like a lot of money. But just slightly less. Right. And God forbid we don't make all the money. Yes. One quarter 
of losses. And Zuckerberg came out and basically called his employees lazy, good-for-nothings who just need to get back to the goddamn coal mine and shovel. Shovel harder. So, I know. Garbage person does garbage things is not exactly breaking news. <laughs> but like I said, we have to do just a brief overview. Zuckerberg is a shining example of an awful human being with a microphone. But it's not just him. It's happening all over Silicon Valley. Google has not really directly fired any large groups of people as of yet, although they have said hirings were effectively stopped or slowing in the parlance of our times. Mm -hmm. Echoing the Zuck, but trying to put a positive spin on it, the CEO of Google, of Google? The CEO of Google, Sunda Pichai, told employees that they needed to work with a, quote, greater urgency and more hunger than we've shown on sunnier days. But, but why? <laughs> it's all about the monies. You know, Google is struggling to survive, Ned. They barely made... By a fingernail they're holding on. I know. I mean, that, like a $10 billion fingernail just doesn't have the same, you know, purchasing power that it used to. So... That's Sundar Pichai, who's the CEO. Sundar. Sundar, sorry. Apologies. Accepted. Why didn't it correct me in spell check? That's outrageous. It's a Google product. <laughs> We're using a Google product, and it didn't check. Oh, I guess the Google employees just need to work harder. <laughs> or maybe that's their silent rebellion. <laughs> Every time you spell its name wrong, oh, it doesn't correct so you. Oh, that's so much better. Oh, my God. That's my headcanon now, and you can't talk me out of it. Fair enough. So, anyway, that is Sundar's softer way to put it. Mm -hmm. Let's move into Google Cloud sales leadership, however, and things are a little um, less polite. Sales leadership, this is not public, so there are no names attached to this, but they have been reported as threatening employees around performance much more directly, saying that there will be, quote, overall examination of sales productivity and productivity in general, and that if results in the next quarter don't approve... There will be blood on the streets. Woo. Yikes. Yeah. To say something like that while working in a company as profitable as Google, that's, that's a vibe. It's important to note that Google Cloud has never made money. Right. Has been riding on the profitability of their ad sector ever since its inception. Much like everything else at Google. Right. But it's the one that is closest to actually turning a profit because... The amount of loss that they've logged every quarter has been going down. Right. And you have to look at something like that as a real, like, it's a dark horse player in clouds. Mm -hmm. It's Amazon first, fourth, tenth, and thirtieth in everybody's minds. Then Microsoft sneaks in there sometimes by accident. And then eventually they get around to thinking about Google. But as we know as technologists, Google Cloud is not bad. No. It's a good product. It yeah. has a lot of really compelling features and use cases, and it is gaining ground. It's just that their marketing is terrible. Right. So what, what better way to fix that problem than to scream and yell and throw chairs at people? Yes. Sounds great. In a much more directly observable losses category, the controversial stock trading platform Robinhood has dropped users steadily since it went public. So that we can classify as an oopsie losing over a third of its cash under management since that time, which is about two years ago. Woo. Last week, they laid off nearly a quarter of their employees. The CEO of Robinhood took it on the chin, saying of the plans for the company, quote, historically, Robinhood has been a company that focused a lot on new customer acquisition. 
This year, we will focus on the valuable customers we already have. Sadly, as a part of that refocusing, 700 people lost their jobs like that. I'm assuming all of those people were inbound uh, marketing. So, right. Yeah, trying to get new customers onto the platform. Yeah, and I mean, that's a lot of the case. where We'll talk about some of the details, but a lot of the time people just took the, the brains off of HR completely and just said, you need to hire somebody, hire them. Mm-hmm. Oh, Steve wants to get another guy in his department? Absolutely. Right. And then as soon as the the stress starts to come down from up on high, and God forfend, our stock price is in danger, <laughs> then all of a sudden all of those uh, shiny happy people stopped holding hands and started throwing chairs. It's a real, real theme on chair throwing. Yeah, it's what you do when you're mad. Is that not, not, is that not normal? I mean, I'm not holding on to this chair for any particular reason, Chris. <laughs> I was wondering why you stood up. It's fine. So... Just a quick rundown on some of the other companies that have announced layoffs just over the past few weeks. Uh, Peloton, talk about a company that overdid it. Mm. Continuing to cut people as of the most recent week, 780 people. Meditation app Calm lost 90 people. I wonder what they're going to do to cope. (laughs) Microsoft, 200 people this week, but at least 1,800 in this quarter. Now, Microsoft employs a lot of people, so from a percentage perspective... It's pretty minuscule. But still... 1,800 people that lose their job. A company like Nutanix, that employs far fewer people, Mm -hmm. lost 270. Oracle, as is tradition, will tell no one anything, so their numbers are unknown, but we do know that it's happening, and some estimates have it as as high as in the, quote, thousands. And Groupon, I'll admit that I didn't even know they still existed. You are not their target demographic, (laughs) just so you're aware. But they lost 500 people. And the list goes on. And it really does mess with people. A Google employee summarized it thusly. Quote, I don't think you should underestimate the kind of impact that this is having on morale or the sense of paranoia that they are looking for someone to put on the chopping block and that it could be you. Hmm. Sounds like a super healthy working environment, uh, assuming that they let you, you know, work there. Yes. And at the same time, putting additional pressure on everybody else to do more things. Right. For no more money. Correct. Actually, for less money. Inflation. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, people probably have unrealistic goals for bonuses that they're not going to hit. And if people make the cardinal sin of... Thinking that that bonus is a guarantee that can put people into really hot water. Yes. So there's a lot of stresses. And with the overheated and suddenly positively worker antagonistic tech economy uh, being what it is, which we just briefly described, it is probably not a shock to many that Silicon Valley therapists are in high demand. Mm. COVID, of course, played a part in terms of just generally having therapists be in high demand. The World Health Organization said that the first year of COVID-19 triggered a 25% increase in anxiety and depression worldwide. Baseline. Yeah, that sounds very accurate. As uh, the sad kids are prone to say, I resemble that remark. Mm -hmm. But lately, likely due to the stressors listed above, California, and especially Silicon Valley, are getting hit harder than average. And Californians are looking for help. 
help that they're having a tough time tracking down. I will say, as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts, I get to hear advertisements for BetterHelp a lot. I'm sure you do as well. And what's funny is at the end of a lot of them, after they told you how great their service is, they also mentioned that they're hiring in like all 50 states for qualified therapists. (laughs) Yeah, and that's an interesting thing that's happening all over the place. So when people think about therapy, they think Sigmund Freud, which is really... Tell me about your mother. Which it's defined as standardized talk therapy. Mm -hmm. You sit down in a room with a person of authority, explain to them your problems. They listen politely, one would hope provide some solutions if they are necessary, and then you leave, right? That's what people think of. Usually, yes. And to the point that you just made, all over the country, there's a problem. (laughs) Even with the challenge being that it's kind of easy to become a licensed therapist. This is one of those situations where just because you're licensed doesn't mean you're good. Mm -hmm. Even in that case, there aren't enough people. And it's happening at places like BetterHelp. It's happening in completely unestablished standalone situations. You can get a lot of great listings off of like a website like Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. Or you can ask your HMO, which is what a lot of people in California are trying to do and continuing to have problems. HMO Kaiser Permanente is being hit with strikes because of how inadequately they're responding to the challenge of staffing in California. Kaiser staffs a frankly pathetic one mental health clinician for every 2,600 HMO members. Now, I don't know what the exact number is in terms of people in system versus the ones that need therapy, but I am guessing that that ratio is not one for 2,600. I'm guessing that was inadequate before the pandemic. Right. So that's a problem. Mm. And it's not one that we have an easy answer for. Since California is always going to California, they have responded by expanding and popularizing other kinds of therapies just to get a little bit of help. So let's talk about a couple of those. One of them being cuddle therapy. Mm. And look, I'm not here to judge. This actually is a thing. Basically, what happens is a practitioner sets up a calm and supportive environment, usually, you know, dark candles, pillows, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then literally will just cuddle with a patient in a non-sexual way for a period of time. The concept has actually been around for a while, and there are tangible psychological benefits to that kind of, again, and I cannot stress this enough, non-sexual contact. Mm-hmm. This is not some kind of shady escort situation. This is real therapy. What happens, in short, is physical contact releases oxytocin into your body. People Mm -hmm. might have heard of that one. Sounds familiar. It makes people feel better. Mm -hmm. Boom. Win. Human contact is super important, and the lack or the removal of it is one of the reasons that solitary confinement is regarded as torture. The UN recently declared that solitary confinement longer than 15 days can cause, in their words, quote, irreversible damage. And this idea is not new. Tocqueville knew this all the way back in the 1700s, stating, quote, this absolute solitude, if nothing interrupts it, is beyond the strength of man. It destroys the criminal without intermission and without pity. It does not reform. It kills. 
Sounds a lot like working in a cubicle to me. <laughs> and I'll save the rest of this rant because there, there was a rant. And I'll save the rest of this rant for my anti-Puritan abuse fetish monsters who think they have a stranglehold on the truth podcast. We're going to have to workshop that name a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's, the acronym is just frightening. <laughs> at, the very, at, at its best, it sounds Welsh. Point is, human contact matters. And especially in the absence of talk therapy options, people in Silicon Valley are in such a state they are paying $80 an hour and up to get it. So, professional cuddling being used to get a shot of a brain-provided feel-good drug. Mm -hmm. That tracks. Sure. Something else that people are using? Hmm. Actual drugs. Sounds right. In particular, another one you might have heard of. Mm -hmm. Ketamine. Yes. Now, before you scoff, stop scoffing. I, I, I am not scoffing. I am reminiscing. <laughs> Remember that these drugs, even drugs with such bad reputations as cocaine and heroin, started out their lives as valid, legitimate medicines. In fact, ketamine is still a valid, legitimate medicine. Right. It's in the use. It's a disassociative. Not, not in the abuse. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the point. The dishes... The, the disassociative properties make it a prime candidate for therapeutic uses. Much like, say, magic mushrooms or the somehow increasingly popular Oyahuska, which I don't know how to pronounce, but Bless that's you. the best I was going to do. That's not how I was going to pronounce it. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> Ketamine therapy works by giving users an intense trip. They are then in an altered enough state that they can use that to work through whatever stresses or traumas are causing problems. Again, this is with the support of a licensed and qualified therapist. <laughs> Ketamine therapy has, has been proven to, to benefit people with the usual mental illness suspects of major depression and anxiety, but can also be used for PTSD, bipolar, etc., etc. As people that both suffer from etc., I can see that we're both paying attention. Yes. It's not just getting high in your basement. This is real therapy, which has shown real results. And once again, even something like this, which was probably considered fringe, even though it does have scientific backing, the wait list for people in California is so long that practitioners have been sharing customers with their competition just so that people who need this kind of support can get it. I mean, that's good of them. I, I've been aware of ketamine as a thing, never taken it personally, but I was somewhat you took it impersonally. Yes, it was <laughs> not a friendly encounter. No, um, I was somewhat active in the rave scene in the early 2000s, and as someone who doesn't really imbibe anything that's not alcohol, I didn't partake in a certain portion of the rave scene. Right, but I was certainly around it. And I can say firsthand that ketamine does have some interesting properties and certainly allows people who normally would not be prone to self-introspection and reflection the opportunity to do so. Now, that can have really positive you know, effects in a, an atmosphere that encourages that self-reflection. And it can also have some really negative consequences if you're in a bad situation and things get worse. Right. So, as you said, just because the drugs exist out there doesn't mean you should just blanketly and blindly take them. Consult your therapist or some other qualified person. Right. And 
if people do scoff at the concept of using what is you know, listed as an illegal drug, just remember one of the things that people say about alcohol all the time. Why do people drink a lot? Because they're depressed. To self-medicate. <laughs> yes. So. so I personally am glad that these types of things are A, out there, and B, gaining attention and mm -hmm. I think acceptance. Mm -hmm. Because talk therapy is great, not taking anything away from it, but the fact that it's not the only thing that you can do helps people who may not be as well suited for talk therapy, but it also opens up just the overall scope to make sure that since we have this influx of people that need help, that they're actually going to get it. Right. And frankly, I think this is a generational thing because one other thing that is driving this, this generation of people recognizes mental health in a much more healthy way than yes, I indeed. think any other has before it. And certainly the last few generations. Yeah. Where mental health was, it wasn't considered a primary concern. And if you weren't able to just push it aside, work through it. Right. Then you were considered a failure. Less you than. should smile more. Oh, God. <laughs> Lightning round? Lightning round. Okay, that got heavy. Let's let's bring some levity. Let's talk about Smart Nicks. Oh. <laughs> 2026 will be the year of the Smart Nick, just like every year before. Not really, but... This is like the year of Cold Fusion. <laughs> the year of the Linux desktop. <laughs> the year of VDI. <laughs> Need we go on? Uh, research firm Del Oro is forecasting that SmartNICs will reach $5 billion in sales by 2026 with the bold claim that these NICs will replace those stupid NICs. Oh, I'm sorry. Traditional network interface cards. I think you were right the first time. In most of the hyperscaler cloud providers with a knock-on effect in traditional enterprises and telecoms. The idea of offloading network duties onto the NIC and off the general purpose CPU is nothing new. TCP offload extension, abbreviation TOE, why is there a toe in my OS? Good questions. And SSL offload have been around for a solid decade now. SmartNICs are a bit more than that, with the ability to offload more advanced functionality like storage processing and firewall activities, or in a more extreme example, the entire hypervisor for a system. NVIDIA has their Bluefield 2 products, Intel has their Infrastructure Processing Units, IPUs, <laughs> and there is VMware's Project Monterey, focused on moving NSX and vSAN functions from the CPU to the NIC. At the same time, Del Oro is projecting that 44% of network ports shipped in 2026 will be running at 100 gig or higher. Of course, SmartNICs and 100 gig interfaces aren't exactly cheap, and loading up a bunch of servers with them needs to be more economical than simply adding more pizza boxes and calling it a day. That's why adoption will first come to the hyperscalers who can tweak their configurations to maximize efficiency. And enterprises will come later to the market once scales of economy have driven SmartNIC prices down to a reasonable level. I suspect this whole SmartNIC thing deserves a longer piece on its own, so now I know what I'm doing for next week. <laughs> Yay. Apple is finally, quietly, bringing back the mascot you didn't know they had. Huh? This is real far in the past, but there is something that you people need to know. <laughs> people in tech, and yes, even tech companies, used to have this thing we call personality. 
I know. Allow me to illuminate you. Way back in the halcyon days of the 1980s, yes, we had computers then, <laughs> there was a little company you might have heard of called Apple. Its blowhard and I mean CEO was someone you also might have heard of, a guy called Steve Jobs. Has entirely too many movies made about him. That is 100% true. Well, Steve-O here had audited a calligraphy course in college, and so, of course, that made him an expert in fonts. He insisted that the Macintosh ship with all-new Apple-exclusive fonts. One that made the cut was called Cairo, and part of its class had images in it. Kind of like wingdings, but, you know, not dumb. Hmm. They were all okay in their way and got used but the one that rocketed to stardom was Claris. This Claris was a hand-drawn bitmap chimera that resembled a dog and resembled a cow. Was she dog? Was she cow? Was she both? Claris wasn't talking. All she would say, according to the lore, was move. Claris made it into all kinds of white papers, and inside jokes at Apple, but was most publicly seen as the icon in the print menu that helped users graphically understand if the printed page was going to come out portrait or landscape. That's it. Which way did the dog's nose face? Gotcha. Sorry. The Claris's nose. Mm -hmm. As Apple got bigger, Claris got harder to find. Eventually, along with Apple's personality, disappearing entirely. However, the story has a happy ending. In the upcoming major release of Apple OS X, going by the name of Ventura, Claris makes her triumphant return to the print menu. It's way too far of a stretch to say that this means that Tim Apple is actually interested in making the company fun again, but bravo to everyone involved for at least getting this one right. Ace Ventura would be proud. See, because pets. Yeah, I just, um, right, we can just... go. <laughs> Well, it's staying in the in the vein of fonts and ways to uh, Font put characters them. on the page, Microsoft open sources its emojis. <laughs> when I when I read the first half of this headline, I have to admit, I was excited to see what Microsoft had chosen to open source this time around. After all, good old Microsoft with the dollar sign, because I'm cool, edgy, Ugh. chose to open source a network operating system, Sonic. Hey, there's that Smartnik thing again coming up. PowerShell 7, .NET, and Visual Studio Code. Maybe this time they do something in the Windows internals. <laughs> or maybe their Hyper-V stack. <laughs> no. They open-sourced a library of 1,500-plus emojis in multiple image formats under an MIT license, which led me to the question, were they closed-sourced to begin with? Is that true of other platforms? Based on what I see on the Unicode webpage, yes. While the emoji themselves are defined in the Unicode standard, the actual images in the standard are just basic black and white illustrations. All the other fancy images that you've seen are held under copyright, trademark, etc. There is a website called openmoji.org which hosts emojis for developers to use, but the image types and the quality of their images is variable. Looking through the Microsoft images, they are rich and available in multiple skin tones and various graphic formats and styles. 
So while this isn't exactly open sourcing the Windows kernel, it's still a boon to any developers looking to include emojis in their application without paying a hefty licensing fee. I give Microsoft a mending heart and a thumbs up. I was really curious to see if you tried to pronounce mending heart in some way. All Apple internet traffic redirected through Russian state-owned telecom for half a day. Seems fine. A few weeks ago, Russian state actors at the telecom company Rostelecom, get it, Russian telecom. Yeah, I, I get things. Modified the global BGP routes that were advertised to users of Apple services. In parlance, if the internet is the information superhighway, BGP is the rules of the road. And modifying BGP routes is equivalent to replacing highway signs to incorrectly direct traffic into a septic pit. Also known as New Jersey. <laughs> In this case, Russia. Anyway, this change was noticed and ignored by nearly everyone. Everyone except Apple, that hmm. is. For 12 odd hours, July 26th into the 27th, all traffic that followed the bad highway signs into Ross Telecom servers before eventually getting where it was supposed to go. Apple themselves finally noticed the issue and resolved it by basically rewriting the entirety of their routing tables to ignore the Russian BGP hijacking. Hmm. This is not Ross Telecom's first instance of bad behavior, although, hashtag dead bird don't eat, I really don't know what people are expecting. Frankly, it's concerning but not surprising that this is even possible. Now, I'm not a networking guy, but it seems to me that BGP is a Telnet-style protocol designed back when we assumed that people would just do the right thing. Oh, we were so young then. We really were. <laughs> Maybe not even born. <laughs> there is a website that exists that tracks other issues with BGP. There are many, both accidental and intentional. Now, to be fair, the site also tracks individual and organizational attempts to mitigate issues with BGP. So definitely check that out if you're so inclined. That site's name, https colon slash slash is bgpsafeyet.com. As of the time of this writing, their answer, no. I feel like that is yet another topic <laughs> we could expand on a lot. Committing fraud is a breeze. Getting away with it is not. Oh, that's the important part. Yeah. Four individuals have been charged with corporate fraud and money laundering in San Diego, California, according to a press release from the Southern District of California's Department of Justice. The four individuals are charged with tricking a multinational tech company into acquiring a startup for $150 million under false pretenses. The victim company in question is not named directly in the release, but a cursory search on LinkedIn of the named individuals reveals that it is Qualcomm. What did this quartet do? Essentially, they created a startup called Abrizio LLC based on technology developed while one of them, Kareem Arabi, was working as VP of R&D at Qualcomm. The group hid the fact that Kareem was the inventor or that he was involved in the startup at all, attributing the invention to a graduate researcher in Canada, Seda Alan. Using his inside influence at Qualcomm, Arabi convinced the company to acquire Abrizio and help negotiate the price based on his insider knowledge of Qualcomm's acquisition process. Of course, under the terms of his employment, anything Arabi invented during his tenure at Qualcomm was their property. So creating a startup and selling to Qualcomm 
what was already theirs is kind of a big no-no. The group also did their best to hide the involvement of Arabi once the deal closed, and they distributed their funds to offshore accounts in hopes to avoid detection and confiscation. Now, it's unclear how this came to the DOJ's attention, but in the release, they mentioned that another member of the team, Ali Akbar Shakuhi, had tried a similar scheme while he was at Qualcomm in 2014. The group now faces up to $750,000 in fines, confiscation of their ill-gotten gains, and up to 20 years in prison. Of course, it's unlikely that any of them will face jail time because, let's be real, prison is for poor people and Martha Stewart. Google Fiber making a bit of a comeback after being stalled for over five years. I know, right? Google Fiber? Still a thing? <laughs> I remember those heady days of 2012 or so, when we all thought that Google was A, still a respectable and honorable company, and B, absolutely going to save us from the hell that was monopolistic control of internet service by the likes of AT&T, Cox Media, <laughs> Cox, <laughs> and Comcast. God, I'm such a child. <laughs> nice. But that rollout didn't go nearly as well as planned. The biggest issue, it seemed, was getting access to utility poles mm -hmm. in order to actually run the fiber. Utility poles, you see, are a complicated endeavor. In order to have order on the poles, there are a number of state and federal laws. Wires have to be laid out in a certain way, and if new wires are to be added, all the others have to be reorganized to avoid congestion, potential crosstalk, and minimizing, since there's power as well, the potential of everything exploding. Yeah. This seems wise. A little bit. But it's also a great way for monopolists like AT&T and Comcast to maintain control. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, did you know that those companies own X amount of utility poles around the country? I sure didn't. Isn't that weird that they own utility poles? Like, shouldn't the local government own those? Oh, you're talking crazy. <laughs> such a child. Anyway. The Google Fiber project ended in an effective hiatus in Nashville in 2016 as AT&T and Comcast teamed up in court in order to protect themselves from competition. Oh, I'm sorry. Protect the proper use of utility poles. Uh-huh. That happened, and we all basically thought, well, I guess that's it for Google Fiber. Hmm. But now they're back with a scaled-back plan to expand in Arizona, Colorado, Nebraska, Nevada, and Idaho. Along with possibly working with municipalities who want to build their own ISP networks. Mm. An interesting strategy because one would hope that they had a better understanding of the utility poles if it was in fact municipality controlled. I don't know how they're going to get around that issue elsewhere, but as the old saying goes, if it makes Comcast unhappy, it can't be that bad. Hey, thanks for listening or something. I, I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end, so congratulations to you, friend. You accomplished something today. Now go find a stranded animal, nurse it back to health, and eat it for Thanksgiving. You've earned it. You can find me or Chris on Twitter at Ned1313 and at Hainer80, respectively, or follow the show at Chaos underscore Lever if that's the kind of thing you're into. Show notes are available at ChaosLever.com if you like reading things, which, like, you, you shouldn't. But I will say we actually do have pretty good show notes that have links to things. So maybe, may, like maybe.
Nah. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. <laughs>